Are you ready for true happiness, for deep fulfillment, for feeling alive, on purpose, and in control of your life again? It's time to be the bold, brilliant, beautiful woman you were born to be. Welcome to the Purpose Girl Podcast. I'm women's happiness and life purpose expert, Karen Rockhunt, and I'm going to teach you how to live on purpose, feel alive, and be happy in every aspect of life. I'm going to get real about my life and interview women who are living on purpose so that you can finally live yours. Welcome to the show. So when I got to graduate school, there were amazing people who seemed so grounded and so clear and so able to think and process and not overthink. It seemed like their brains just did not go crazy and haywire like mine did. And I thought, what the heck are these people on? And the more I got to know these people, amazing people who became good friends of mine, the more they talked to me about mindfulness. And I have to be honest, at first my eyes totally rolled. I'm like, whatever, this is ridiculous, it's crazy. And of course they were talking about meditation. Now, if I'm gonna be truly honest, my issue with it was that my brain does not shut up. I thought this is not possible. This is only for people who are already at peace. Meditation, mindfulness, this is for those hippies who don't have an overactive A++ personality like I do. And as I started getting to know them and I would say this to them, they said to me, Karen, that's exactly why you need a mindfulness practice. And I will tell you, it has been seven or eight years of a journey for me on this mindfulness practice. And before you roll your eyes or before you think it's not for you, which is something I hear from so many of my clients, our guest expert today is going to talk to us about holistically the idea of mindfulness. We're going to go into why it feels so difficult, what it is that we actually have to do. We're going to dive into the ways in which the practice of mindfulness brings us truly into our purpose in life and how without it, we end up scattered, we end up chaotic, we end up feeling stuck, we end up unhappy. And so on today's episode of the Purpose Girl podcast, we are going deep into your mind for you to truly have the peace and the happiness that you so crave. It made a huge difference in my life. I cannot have a day without it. And so I am super, super, super excited to introduce you to my guest today, dear friend and colleague of mine, Pax Tandon. Pax, I'm so excited to have you. Woo! So excited to be here, Karen. Oh my gosh. So I have to like brag on you and tell everybody about you. So <laughs> Pax is, she's incredible. Um, Pax is an author, a filmmaker, an entrepreneur. She is a wellness advocate, a teacher. She holds her master's degree in applied positive psychology from UPenn, like I do. And she also earned her bachelor's from Wharton. So she is totally brilliant and intelligent, which is, of course, the business school at UPenn. Also <laughs> holding a BA in psychology. She, of course, double major because she's so brilliant. Um, she has her certificate in applied positive psychology, a certificate in past life regression therapy. This is amazing. We're totally going to get into that uh, later on in the show. She also has 200 hours of yoga teacher training. She is, she's completed UPenn School of Medicine mindfulness-based reduction course. I mean, this woman has 
the full package, right? Everything about our mind, about our well-being, our happiness, including the body. So she gives speeches, leads workshops. She's on panels in countless places from Wharton to Drexel University to the Baldwin School for Girls, the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And she is the director of Vivo Forto Organization, whose mission is 100% all about training the world's children in mindfulness. She sits on the board of Write Your Future, which is a nonprofit dedicated to teaching writing skills to students in need. And she has just come out with an incredible book that I've been devouring over the last week. I have so many earmarks in this book. You have to see it. It is called Mindfulness Matters, A Guide to Mastering Your Life. Pax, welcome to the Purpose Girl podcast. Thank you, honey. What an intro. When I hear it like that, I'm like, oh, cool. <laughs> like, hey, cool. I'm not bad, right? I'm pretty cool. Yeah, it's good perspective, you know, yeah. especially for, listen, I completely resonate with that story and I loved it so much because isn't that the flow? You know, we, we type A left brain thinkers constantly running and moving tend to feel that it's just not in our wheelhouse to be able to slow down like that. And in fact, why would we want to? Because so much of, of how our minds work does lead to such amazing productivity, you know, but that all at once also drives us crazy. So, you know, hearing it spoken back like that, I, I understood exactly why my journey led me to need to cultivate mindfulness in my own life and as such became such an advocate for it. Yeah. I mean, obviously you are a high achieving woman and I know a lot of you out there are as well. And this is this very thing, our mind chatter, right? Our mind chatter often being cruel to ourselves. The mind that says, you know, you've got to do more. You've got to be better. You've got to keep up. It's something that has made us productive. It's gotten us an A plus plus or a promotion and it is making us miserable. So, mm -hmm. so I want to back up and you all are going to just fall in love with Pax because she's also just a incredible woman and gorgeous and all of the above. Pax, everyone talks about mindfulness. It's like a big, it's a buzzword, right? Mm -hmm. What does it even mean? So definitionally, Karen, that's always a great place to start. Uh, easily receivable little Webster's dictionary type definition, which is that just that mindfulness is a non-judgmental awareness of the present moment. Okay. So it's, it's just this ability to sit with the present moment, the moment you're in, just as it is, without actively trying to change it, resist it, push, pull, right? Which we're doing constantly. Hmm. So, so ultimately what you're really cultivating is an ability to just be a human being, not a human doing. Mm, I love this. I feel like we need to put a highlighter around a human being and not a human doing. I find myself so often, and it's gotten so much better since I started a mindfulness practice, but it's true that we're judging every moment and then judging ourselves for judging that moment. So let's talk a little bit about what it means, because before I got into this work, I didn't even understand. What do you mean I'm judging the moment? What does it mean to be non-judgmental? Yeah, so, so let's give an example of if you were actually sitting, you know, with the practice and what that might look like. So if I sit, right, and I'm trying to work a mindfulness practice, thoughts may come up, right? Bodily sensations, right? So you might notice there's a sensation in your toe. 
Now, the noticing is what we're cultivating with mindfulness just to be able to notice, oh, there's something. The judgment comes in when you place a qualifier on it. So, for example, sensation in toe, pain, I don't like it, go away. That's a judgment, right? Mm -hmm. We're qualifying it as something we don't like and wanting it to go away. And so, you know, you can probably start to understand then where the potency of this practice is because if you're sitting cultivating an ability to notice what you find without putting those qualifiers and judgments on it, then you're able to receive every moment of your life as it unfolds as it is, Hmm. right? Because now you're developing like a muscle that you keep training this ability to just be with things as they happen, right? So the next time you're in a fight with a best friend, for example, right? You're disagreeing about something and things are getting heated. You know, you're able to be in that moment and not go to, um, she always does this. This is so typical. Um, This is, she's attacking me, you know, and you're able to just sit with what is, right? And you know, you know, from all of our studies of positive psychology that, that emotions have a shelf life, right? So, any emotion, you, you have a physi- physiological response in the body, and then it just takes about 90 seconds for that to dissipate again. And the ability to make choices that are more deliberate from a place of not emotional charge, but calm, the choices mm-hmm. end up being very different. And so much of mindfulness and the, the stories that I hear about it, um, the experiences that are shared with me around this are that, you know, Pax, once I learned this, once I I started putting some of the the book uh, practices into my daily routine, I started to just notice my relationships were getting better, you know, across the board. Why is that? It's because we're developing this ability to be non-reactive, non-judgmental, and start to interact with our world in a much more objective, calm way. And that starts to change the game. Right. I I love this. It's so true that we are pretty much spending all day creating our own struggle, right? And Mm -hmm. right before any of you are out there going, no, my boss is causing the struggle or my husband's causing the struggle or my wife or whatever it might be. What's really happening there is that the pain is real, right? It's like a a client of mine was telling me that her boss makes these digs, right? Kind of every week or so, there's like a little dig. And that is painful. The struggle, though, is her constant taking it in, thinking about it, analyzing it, getting frustrated, thinking he's a jerk, thinking she's doing something wrong. All of that is what keeps it going beyond what you're saying, the 90 seconds in our body. And look, I don't blame her. I wouldn't like a dig every single week. The question, though, is if she can sit with it and be mindful with it, then she can not react toward him and instead get clear in her mind, what do I want to do about this? I love this. You say in the book, we practice mindfulness because the struggle to stay present in flow, grateful, joyful is real, Mm -hmm. right? The, The struggle is real. Look, there are things all day long that frustrate us. The question is, is it healthy for us or what's the healthiest response for us? Yeah. I mean, that quote and the story before it, you know, they really get at this idea, first of all, of, of how do you want to live your life? 
you know, getting mindful and noticing, first of all, how you're living your life. And does that feel good to be in frustration, anger, internalizing other people's stuff all day long, constantly judging social media does not help that world, right? Oh, no. it, it's just constant comparisons and therefore judgments about where I'm falling short compared to Miss Perfect photo over there on Instagram, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so constantly we have this, uh, this choice moment to moment of, do I want to live in judgment, frustration, upset, anger all the time? Or do I want to release myself of that, liberate myself and, and live differently? So that's the, the sort of objectivity that you're, you're trying to work to gain around things that are happening. The second layer, which is the one underneath it, you know, is you're absolutely right. It doesn't feel good to receive digs from someone. But again, a part of the mindfulness is the awareness of where's that coming from? You know, part of this, this uh, nested doll here, right, is that the more we, we judge and get caught in that cycle, the more we develop these feedback loops in our brains around going straight to judgment. But if we start to cultivate a different feedback loop around objectivity, non-judgment, mindfulness, you know, then, then we're more able to hook into that. Um, and in that moment then, when the dig happens, you know, it doesn't needle us. It doesn't ruffle our feathers because we're just as able to note in that moment an empathetic response, which is what, what in this person would cause them to have to make a comment like that. And like nine times out of 10, Karen, this is coming from a person's own insecurity. If we're talking mm -hmm. about a dig, if we're mm -hmm. talking about a diminishment of somebody else, when, when somebody is fulfilled, happy, purposeful, you know, the light is shining really brightly, they're cultivating their own purpose, as you know, and doing that work in the world, there's very little need to bring that, that to your world because you're, you're happy and satisfied in your own. The dig, the diminishment of somebody else belittling, that comes from a place of insecurity in, in oneself. And so to be able to recognize that with empathy, you know, is, is another piece of what makes this practice so beautiful. It cultivates mm. empathy because as you sit there aware of your own states of being, thoughts, emotions, um, you start to, in a neuroscience way, ramp down the left brain, you know, right brain activity ramps up. That's the side of our brain that does not see separateness, but actually recognizes oneness, right? So you start to cultivate that. But alongside is also this awareness of I, the human condition is universal. Mm -hmm. I, you know, the same thoughts, feelings, emotions, sensations, et cetera, that I have and that I'm watching happening in my moment-to-moment -moment experience are happening to somebody else. That ability to recognize oneself and another, that's the empathy cultivation, you know, that, that is the reason um, the Dalai Lama says, you know, that if we taught every eight-year-old to meditate, we would eradicate violence from the world in one generation. Hmm. That is so powerful. Like if you think about that, eradicating violence from the world in mm -hmm. one generation. Mm -hmm. If we taught every eight-year-old to meditate, and that's all it boils down to is empathy. Mm. Yeah, it's so, it's so powerful. And I'm sitting here thinking, what if someone doesn't want to have empathy? 
Like mm -hmm. what, what if someone's like, I have empathy for my friends. I have empathy for my family. I have empathy for people who are starving in other parts of the world or in my own part of the world. But you know what? I don't want to have empathy for my boss or I don't want to have empathy for my husband who's not treating me the way I want to be treated. Yeah, that's a great question. You know, the first thing that I would say to that is it's an all or nothing. Right. I don't think it's possible for you to cultivate empathy in certain areas of your life and not have them in others. And so to think that that's actually true means that you're just expending more energy in self-regulating in those mm. scenarios, for example, like with your husband or with in tandem with starving children in the world or what have you, all of these causes. You're just adding more energy to regulating yourself around saying, for example, here's a situation where I should have empathy, so I will. Or there's a situation, okay, it's my husband. You know, you obviously have a vested interest then in a scenario like that to bring empathy or, you know, the relationship is not going to work. You know, you have to be able to, to recognize each other that way and bring some compassion. Mm. So, you know, I, I think that in order to free up bandwidth, to shine that light brighter, right, adding more energy to self-regulation is just adding another layer of yourself. Right. It's like a cover up as opposed to really getting to the core of you at your most peaceful, happy exactly. self. And exactly. I had that question because as I was talking to a client, a coaching client earlier this week, that's basically what this client said to me. Like, you know what? This person's a jerk. Why do I have to have empathy for them? Mm -hmm. And the answer actually is to have empathy for understanding when they are being, right, this is actually another situation with a jerky boss, which maybe should be its own topic at some point, but, you know, <laughs> hashtag right, jerky hashtag boss. jerky boss, right, that, that it's to, to recognize that how much right now you're letting this hashtag jerky boss get under your skin and therefore really letting it get the best of you. And it's ruining, I mean, this person was telling me it's ruining their their relation, their personal relationship, it's ruining their health, it's ruining their sleep, all the above. And so you're actually doing this for yourself in a way of saying, you know what, I'm going to take it off of me beating myself up that I'm doing something wrong or that they're a jerk. And you're saying, I'm going to recognize that this person has their own issues. And in doing Absolutely. so, right. And in doing so, it's like you're freeing yourself. And I said to this person, let's recognize that this hashtag jerky boss has their own personal issues and you get to choose whether you stay working there or not or you get to choose whether you put together your resume and you with love say goodbye there is so much there karen i mean absolutely right i think what we're really highlighting here is why would you want to give away your power like that yes you're you're putting the the power of what's happening squarely in somebody else's hands and taking it out of your own. So that's the first thing, right? Is to be deliberate about saying, I'm not going to do that, right? I'm going to choose a different path and then not to get too meta level, but in showing up for somebody else as somebody who consistently chooses not to engage in the lower vibrational frequency mm. that is the jerky boss, that is the dig, <laughs> that is whatever, right? Mm -hmm. That is the a-hole behavior. Right. In choosing to decide, and this takes a lot of self-regulation, but hashtag bonus, yes. you know, that's so much of what you're cultivating with mindfulness too, is self-regulation is, is the 
skill of not indulging every thought that crosses your mind, every sensation that happens in your body is choosing not to attach to it and indulge it, but rather stay objective to it. This is why MBSR, mindfulness-based stress reduction, was first used by John Kabat-Zinn in a medical setting. He was using this in a hospital setting as a pain management tool for patients. Why did it work so well? Because they started to be able to parse out this attachment that they had to their pain, right, and observe it, but not become it. Mm. And so the self-regulation starts to happen around, I don't need to engage with every little thing that happens. I have a choice on what thoughts I choose to indulge. And that is so positive psychology, isn't it? It that is. we are working to change our cognitions to become productive ones. Are we going to choose what's going right in life? Hashtag gratitude. Or are <laughs> we going to keep going to the, the negatives and what's going wrong? You know, and make being so deliberate with your life force energy around which way you're choosing to conduct yourself. And the meta level is that the better you get at regulating self around, okay, jerky boss comment, I'm not going to engage with that. The more you see those things diffuse almost before they even happen mm. because you're showing up at a higher vibrational frequency, people will meet you where you are there. You know, it, that, that's just what happens with energetic resonance, mirror neurons. You know, we start to emulate what we're seeing more of. So you be that, that force that's so regulated, self-regulated that you can keep choosing the higher frequency and let other people come to you to tune in. And that sort of, you know, the, the other layer of what you spoke about, which was, you know, if this situation isn't working for me, let me find another. So much of this process is also our awareness of what we really want who we are at our core, what our purpose is, how we need and want to show up in the world to shine our brightest light, to be our best selves, if you will. And so it's recognizing, you know, in a moment like that, that our pain points are our greatest forces for change. So what is that, that pain in you saying? You know, now you're self-regulating, you're deciding not to engage. Now from a place of great objectivity, you know, it's not a moment where you have a thing with somebody. That's, that's not a good moment upon which to base a life decision like finding a new job. So once you've gained some self-regulation objectivity around the relationship and you're like, okay, you know, that's his stuff, whatever. And is there something real here that's triggering me that I need to pay attention to? Hmm. You know, is this a signal for me that, that I'm ready to grow, that I've elevated beyond this environment? And I need to make a leap here out of maybe what's comfortable or painful doesn't necessarily mean, you know, discomfort, right? Yeah. And it, listen, we get the signals in our body. We get the feelings. They're all really just trying to alert us to something. And you're right. We actually, sometimes we pay so much attention to a momentary exchange or we pay so much attention to and emotion and then we latch onto it and that from that place we're in anger we're in frustration we're in resentment and then we aren't making a great decision exactly no good decisions come from that charged place right i mean inevitably you regret if it's if it's a salient relationship in your life you'll always come to regret having reacted from that place because given time it's why they say sleep on it 
you know, but when you're in a charged place, you receive an email, do not respond right away. <laughs> right. right. Oh, I have so had to learn this the hard way. My I, best... me too. Oh we my God, girl. Teaching. Yes. We're, we're teaching it because it's such an important tool to start to learn, you know, my mindfulness practice really fed into my ability to to not engage in the moment, you know, to be self-regulated around, okay, I've received this, I'm having a reaction, I'm having an emotional response, okay, that will dissipate, and then, you know, allowing, allowing that to happen and unfold so that I could come from a very different place with my perspective and yes. respond accordingly, and I've, I've never regretted taking that time. But I have always regretted not taking it. That that's just Pax facts. That's um, full listen, life. <laughs> listen, right? that is a Pax fact that I want to like highlight, underline because it's so me as well, right? I I can even think of a situation. You were actually there. I went to a party and I I was feeling triggered and I like threw up all over everybody. And I still think about it as. I don't ever want to do that again. I want to pause. I want to excuse myself. I want to get into a place where I can really feel into that feeling and then be able to look at what is triggering me from an objective place and then make a decision about how I respond and love and, and all of that. And, and it's so true. I mean, I know people who have quit jobs in that moment or left partnerships in that moment, and then they end up regretting it as opposed to being thoughtful. And I think something so important that, like I said, I feel like I really, I like putting picture frames around things. I need to put mm -hmm. a picture frame around this is that every thought we have is temporary, right? It's like, we think that our thoughts are king and queen, right? But thoughts come and they go. They're pawns. They're right, right, right. They're like, they're trying to get us to engage, but they just come and go. The other thing is that emotions are temporary. Yes. Emotions come and they go. And so if we can, and that was an early understanding for me as I began my own mindfulness practice and my and when I started learning is being able to step back and notice oh thoughts come and they go and this stuff is not easy like this is this is this can feel hard oh it can feel so challenging and yes. it, it's not called a practice because it doesn't take practice right but just like you wouldn't expect I mean, and if you do, then we have to talk about your delusions. But just like you wouldn't expect to go to the gym one time and be ripped for life, right? It's, it's a consistent, dedicated practice of building strength and endurance. Yes. Same thing applies here with the mindfulness practice. Think of it like a muscle that you're cultivating, you know, around your attention, around your self-regulation. You know, it's not going to be one and done. And in fact, the ability to be able to sit for five minutes, two minutes, as if you're a beginner, 10 minutes, what have you, um, and keep noticing, you know, when your mind has wandered and bringing it back to the present moment, that is the building of the muscle, you know, and the ability to notice that it is challenging and stick with it. Mm. You know, that stick to itiveness is, is actually the nice extra layer of helping you cultivate more of that. Yes, yes, this is so important. I love this idea of like going to the mind gym because, you know, when we look at the difference between mindfulness and meditation, meditation is a practice. It's like going to the gym that allows you to be mindful or allows you to feel healthy and fit. And mm -hmm. 
when I first started the story, I said at the beginning, when I first started meditating, I said to my friends right away, I can't, my mind does not shut up. And they said to me, yeah, that's the point. The idea is that you notice your mind went away and you simply bring it back. And it has made such a difference to shift from thinking, okay, I've got to sit here and clear my mind to I can sit here and understand that my mind wanders because that's what minds do. Minds chatter and minds are like, they call it a monkey mind because it goes on mm. and on. And I can accept that, right? Deep acceptance of this is just how the human mind works. And I mean, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. To the extent that your mind stops completely, I think we would call that a vegetable, right? right. A vegetative state. <laughs> right. You don't actually want that. So the beauty right. is in recognizing this is what the mind is designed to do. What a beautiful tool that we've been gifted as human mm. beings, you know, to have this this tool at our disposal that that we can use to place our attention on anything that, you know, shining the spotlight of our attention on any one thing, we have that choice. Um, and then to be able to create from that place where I choose to put my attention is then what becomes my reality. The issue is that we've gotten to this place of having our minds so monkey mind, so out of our control, jumping here and there, that we become our minds. We're not using them as this tool. We're not cultivating our attention. You know, it's gotten out of our control, really. Right. We're letting them run the show. I mean, I often say that your mind will run you unless you run your mind. Precisely. I mean, that's how it works. And it's so powerful to gain some regulation around where your mind is going for so many reasons, so many reasons, not least, you know, the the one that we touched on earlier, which is so positive psychology, but which is choosing healthier more positive, productive cognitions. And we know that that leads to a whole host of other consequences, right? If you're constantly thinking negative thoughts, we know from the research that those people tend to have weaker immune systems, right? Negative, less optimistic people. Um, you know, yes. so many other consequences to a positive frame of mind. Or, you know, Bob Fredrickson's research, right? If you're in an optimistic, positive frame of mind, you can come up with creative solutions, right? Far more creative solutions. And if you're in this negative space all the time, your mind goes linear, right? Very fight or flight mechanics. And you're just like physically, physiologically not able to come up with a wider array of solutions, of, of creative right. unfoldings. And so on whatever level, you know, you want to step into the ring of this and, and start this practice, you know, you can see that the benefits are, are sort of myriad and very far reaching. And, and in this world of today with constant stimuli and demands on our attention, it's that much more important that we are able to exercise some modicum of control over where we'd like to place our attention rather than where other people are trying to yank it. Absolutely. This is so incredible. It really comes down to remembering that your happiness is your yes. choice. And what you are choosing, how you're choosing to spend your time, who you choose to spend your time with, and perhaps the biggest is what you're choosing to do with your mind. And will you allow your mind to wander off into constant negativity or will you have that 
regulation that PAX is talking about, the discipline, right? I used to hate the word discipline and regulation because I just wanted to be a free bird. I didn't want anyone to tell me you have to put a rule around this because I spent so much of my childhood being a rule follower. And then I thought, I don't want anyone telling me any rules. What I have learned is that regulation and discipline is not bad. Rather, the more I am disciplined with my mind, the more I'm disciplined with my positivity, the more I'm disciplined with my thoughts and my actions, I actually have more freedom. Exactly right. I mean, I think that that's like the central thesis so far of our discussion is that in fact, discipline and self-regulation are fundamentally liberating. Yes. Right? When you really start to work with these practices, they liberate you Mm. of attachments that aren't in the highest service, right? Including to pain, to your pain in the body. That's why it's such a such an amazingly effective pain management tool, more than even pharmaceuticals and medications. You know why in an interaction, moment to moment, this will help you make better choices, which starts to ramp up your relationships. And we also know that our connections and relationships are among the top few um, primary factors around well-being. So if we're cultivating them and really investing in them wisely, you know, we enjoy happiness and well-being. You know, so there, there are so many ways in which actually cultivating discipline in this practice with the mind, with the attention, leads directly to lighter, freer, liberated, airy, you know, however you want to describe that awesomeness. That's Joyful, like happy life. Yes. Yes. There you go. So let's talk about how to get there because we've talked about meditation and I love that you say even just two minutes, right? Even just two minutes of sitting and breathing, even just saying in and out as you breathe. I love using an app like the Insight Timer. I love that your book gives additional ways. One of the things I love is that you talk about, for instance, the power of gratitude in getting there. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. So I consider all of these practices, gratitude including, to be mindfulness practices because, again, you are starting to get deliberate about where your mind is. So the gratitude practice is one of the most effective, we call them interventions, you know, as you know, in positive psychology, but for all the folks listening, you know, I know intervention as a word is is sort of laced with connotations of family members flocking around (laughs) an addict, like, you know, we need to stage an intervention. (laughs) And I, I love, you know, the gravity of the word because it gets at the seriousness of these practices in our lives, like to the extent that we work them. We enjoy, you know, the fruits of that labor to the extent mm. that we don't, you know, life, life looks the way that, that we don't really want it to look, which is sort of steeped in negativity and stress and depression and that kind of thing. So that's the first thing I'll say, you know, that interventions, gratitude is one of our favorite and most salient interventions because it so quickly engenders well-being. Mm. Why does it do that? Well, that's because as, as we spoke about before, it helps you start to reframe your world through a what's going right lens as opposed to a what's going wrong. So, you know, evolutionarily, we've got this adaptation so strongly in our genetic code around being able to spot the danger in our environment. Where's the negative, right? Because not that long ago, not even a thousand years ago, um, it was a very real facet of our lives as human beings that we could get picked off by a predator. If we weren't watchful of where the saber-toothed tiger was, we didn't survive, we didn't carry on the species, you know, mm-hmm. so that was the ultimate genetic win. Mm-hmm. Life has changed very rapidly, mm-hmm. and 
that isn't really a reality for most of the world. But the ability to recognize that, first of all, and then say, okay, what's going right in my life? And inevitably, you know, 37 trillion things plus are going right. We have 37 trillion cells in our body and they're all working in harmony mm. to keep us alive. Wow. That's a lot of reasons to be grateful. Just, just that right there, the miracle of being alive. You know, and, and if you want to extend beyond your physical form, then there are so many things that are, that are going right. If you've got a roof over your head, that's huge, right? You know, and, and w fresh water to drink mm. and perfect. A flushing toilet. A flushing toilet. So huge. I mean, I remember when we go to India, you know, and I was a little girl and my father was so deliberate about making sure that we visited our relatives in villages, you know, and, and pockets of India where um, it was quite, let's say, rustic. And there were no flushing toilets and we didn't have showers. We took baths out of buckets hmm. and they'd fill up the bucket with water and then add, you know, boil some hot water on the stove and add it into the bucket. That's the way we bathed, wow. you know, and then coming back and having that perspective around, wow, this running hot shower thing is not to be taken for granted. So across the board, you know, our lives are steeped in opportunities to recognize gratitude. And this starts to cultivate positive emotions because on a day to day basis, you know, as you said at the beginning, it's very easy to get down on oneself, mm -hmm. um, judgy and unhappy, you know, about the comparisons of where I'm not, you know, versus where I am, you know, all that I've accomplished versus what I haven't yet accomplished, you know, is, is starting to kind of parse that out. Yeah. And I, be aware of that every day. Yes. Yes. There is so much. Thank you. I have a new perspective around a shower that when I shower, <laughs> tomorrow because I've already done that today so when I show up tomorrow I will be thinking of you and I will be thinking of your family that doesn't have that privilege and really paying extra attention which is why gratitude is such a salient brilliant intervention or practice for mindfulness because it brings you out of the chatter of what's wrong what's not working what went wrong what will go wrong and it brings you into the moment of appreciation and you will find that the more you start practicing gratitude, the more you will notice that's good, right? The more you yes. will notice what's good. And then you're living your life more from a place of, wow, look at how amazing this is. Wow, look at that. You know, I, I sometimes, my family thinks I'm a little cheesy, right? I once, <laughs> you know, my sister once said to me, everything is not wonderful, Karen. And I was like, actually it is. Like at this moment, like, is it always? No, of course not. I've had my fair share of issues and I'm very honest about them here on the podcast, right? But at that moment, really everything really was wonderful. And it's okay to be that cheesy person because you're gonna be happier. I love this too. You do something so brilliant in the book, Pax. You share with us a letter to your dad. Mm, yeah. And this is so beautiful. You talk about in the book how a beautiful way to practice gratitude, to practice mindfulness, is to think of what you would say to your father, to someone you love, if everyone was gathering to celebrate their memory. And it's like, mm. why wait? And you write this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful letter. So I'm just going to give you a couple of sentences of this beautiful letter to give you a sense of what you all can do as a gorgeous, gorgeous practice. 
Dear Dad, even though I know your style, which is rather too humble to accept a thank you. And then Pax goes on to say, thank you for being brave enough to come all the way to America as a young man, alone with only $5 in your pocket. And can you imagine pausing and actually being in gratitude to your, to a parent like that, or to a friend or to a partner? And the letter goes on. You really have to get her book to read this if for nothing else. And there's a million beautiful practices in this. It's just so beautiful because this is such a way to pause and be in control of your life and what you say instead of waiting until it's too late. Yeah, you know, thank you for for sharing that with everyone and reading those few lines. I I even had a swell happen just now hearing that again because it is so emotionally powerful to take stock of what somebody uh, who you love, who loves you in your life has really brought to it in that grateful way, you know, that you can be, which you tend to misplace, forget, or as you said, you know, what was so powerful for me with this was, was noting that I hadn't done it yet, you know, and I'm writing the book and, and I'm like, wait a minute, I haven't written a gratitude letter yet, you know, and, and read it out loud. Um, and realized that I had done it so many times in my mind. I was speaking this, this thank you, this gratitude to my father in my mind. Every time something would come up to remind me, for example, that, that it was such a, a hair of a miracle, you know, that I even exist, right? Because mm. he made this brave choice. Yes. And then all of the decisions from there, the only reason that I have the education I have is because he made that bold step, you know, and, and they were so deliberate about that education wow. and so on and so on, you know, and, and I just realized I was speaking this in my mind to him when he was gone. Mm. I, it was so striking to me. I'm like, why, why then? Why not now? Why, you know, and that's, that's, I think so much the potency of this gratitude letter practice because it really does compel you to sit down and express things that you, I don't think otherwise would to somebody. Where else do you have license to sort of like, that would be a little awkward, right? You just sit right. someone down and you're like, listen, thanks for, and we also <laughs> as humans are not very good at accepting compliments gracefully. You know, we just, right. we get embarrassed and we try to like, oh no, it's, it, it was nothing. Yeah. Yeah. In this case, it's really giving yourself license to be able to express something so meaningful and powerful to another person who has had this positive effect on your life. Mm. And to be able to say, you know, this is a practice um, that we use. It's an intervention on gratitude. And I would really like to share this with you. That gives, that gives it a different kind of license, you know, mm. which takes away the awkward and just makes it pure, potent love connection, mm. you know, and reading a letter to somebody in this way and having them just be able to receive it um, without the layers of, of feeling, you know, it's permissible yes. without the layers of having to deflect or, oh my God, this is too complimentary. Yes. Um, and the lovely thing is my father read the book, right? Before I read the letter to him, mm. they had their hands on sort of first copies and he read it and he called me. Um, and he just said, well, 
I just saw the letter to your dear dad. I mean, even then he won't use first person, mm. right? Like the letter to me, he's right. so humble. He's like to your dad. Mm. Um, and, and sure enough, you know, he, he was just so humble about this is not my life. I'm caring. It's your grandparents and your great grandparents, you know, and I'm just, I'm just holding their life force, mm. you know, and it was just so beautiful for him to, to call me and say, in his way, wow, you know, and to be able to have done that in his lifetime for me is, is such a huge gift. Such a huge gift for both of you and for your whole family. I, I also wrote a gratitude letter to my parents and I read it to them the weekend of graduation from grad school. Mm. And the same thing, my dad was shifting in his chair and my dad is quite emotional and sensitive. So he started crying and then he said, no, 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 I don't want to cry. Just stop. You know, and I know I'm not going to stop because yeah. I want to make sure that, that we do this. And, and I think whether it's the, the gratitude practices that you have in the book, you have beautiful practices around eating, right? Like really being mm -hmm. mindful and choosing what food you put into your body, using food instead of just more antidepressants or more medicine in your body. You have beautiful practices around slowing down and appreciating food, appreciating the moments, really appreciating your body. I mean, these are practices yeah. we all need. Yeah, I mean, you know, on the food topic, right? We're this nation that consistently struggles on a seesaw of, you know, weight. Um, particularly, you know, we do have an obesity crisis in this country, but on the other end, you know, the, the issues with weight that we see so often in teenagers, particularly young women. And so much of this is a mindlessness around food. What purpose it really exists to serve for us, mm. which is to help us stay alive and beyond that to thrive, mm. you know, and, and starting to become conscious of what we're putting in our bodies, but we inhale, we eat as if it's, it's this chore, this side effect, you know, outside of what's, what's happening through that meal time. It's conversation. We're all on our phones these days now, <laughs> right. Too, right? There's so much distraction away from the essence of, of the meal, of the mm. fuel, of the imbibing. So to be able to use some of the practices in the book that I prime to help you start to get really aware and slow down with the process of eating, making that a mindfulness practice, a meditation, and that helps you actually start to develop awareness. You know, your body has so much intelligence around what it needs, mm -hmm. what it needs to come into balance and to thrive. But we inhale and we scarf. We don't even give it a chance to tell us when it's full because we eat so fast and so furious and so distractedly. Mm. And if we were to just slow down and start to savor more, we'd be attuned to a feelings of satiety, right? When we're full and be able to stop. If you're eating slowly enough, those signals happen potently and quickly. And then you won't eat, you know, you'd eat a third pretty much is kind of the heuristic of what you already do if you're eating mindfully. Mm. And beyond that, listening to your body when you smell something, you know, it, it will tell you, it has intelligence. If that's something that it needs or wants, it will smell extra sugar and know that, that that's, that's going to push you over the edge, push your sugar levels too high, that kind of thing. You know, I've gotten to this place where, you know, I'll wake up on a given day and 
I'll think about coffee. So I'll have like a rational sort of coffee thought, right? <laughs> like, oh, I should get some coffee. Like habit. And, it's a habit. Yeah, that habit thing. And that's in the mind, right? The the feedback looping in the mind around addiction and habit. Mind first, body second is my contention. You know, the, the mind is a very powerful thing and you can you can regulate around it. So I'll have that coffee thought and then my body will immediately tell me yay or nay. You know, if, if there's too much caffeine in my system already, or it, it, it'll present as a feeling of rejection, you know, like that I don't want it. And I can tell that my body, my adrenal glands, whatever it is too much, mm-hmm. scale back, mm-hmm. you know, and, and getting really mindful like that about what we need. That's all we need. You know, even the hunger response, just eating when you're hungry. And your body needs that fuel versus when the mind is trying to eat feelings, right? And numb out through food to avoid something unpleasant, uncomfortable, you know, and learning to know the difference. That that right there is all the weight management you need. Wow. It is huge, right? That is is huge. We are constantly just like, you know, Halloween, right? Eating all this like candy and and. I was looking at my basket of Halloween candy and it was like inside of me was the 10 year old that said, we need to get as much as we can. My brother and sister are going to eat it all if I don't eat it. It's, yeah. like, right? it's like, I got to eat it all now. So real. And, it, right? and if you like pause, it's like, do I really want another Reese's peanut butter cup? Like, yeah, I'm going to treat myself to one tonight. Do I really want another one? And, you know, it, it's, it's incredible now that I have studied and practiced mindfulness. Any of you out there who have never really slowed down with your food, an opportunity for you is to get a really delicious piece of dark chocolate. Do it with yes. dark. You read my and, mind. Yeah. And, and bring it up to like, take five minutes and bring it up to your nose and really smell it because digestion actually doesn't begin in your mouth. It actually begins with your eyes and it begins with your senses. And so smell it and you will already start salivating. I am just thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, I have this Hershey kiss practice in the book Mm. and and I think that's a beautiful Mm -hmm. way to do this. Just a morsel, Mm -hmm. just a small amount. And I love that you said dark chocolate because, you know, it it actually helps you develop a really different palatal awareness around chocolate. Yes. And you do this just a little bit and you will start to notice how much more potent and lovely a piece of dark chocolate is, right? Much higher cocoa content, much less fat, salt, even sugar. Mm -hmm. And the body loves that. Mm -hmm. The body loves pure fuel. Yes, That is what it runs on. It thrives on when you feed it, you know, a lot of extra crap. It has to work that much harder to extract good fuel from that. And then the rest is just waste, Mm -hmm. you know, and what does it do with it? So if it can't metabolize it, it sits on your hips and thighs, is fat, what have you, right? And, you know, I love the dark chocolate thing because it, dark chocolate, the higher the cocoa content, the better. It's actually really good for you, you know, mm. and it, it helps you. It's got high antioxidant power. And so, you know, it's, it's really sort of a lovely twofer mm. to use a bit of dark chocolate with your mindfulness practice. So learning to eat mindfully with that and, and you actually do start to develop a very different palette around chocolate too. Mm-hmm. And it's honestly, it's sexy. 
right? So like, sexy. Uh, it's, it's like, like those dub commercials. Yeah, and it's like the dub, and it's like take five, dude. Ooh, savor it. Yeah, savor it. Or you can do it with a strawberry and just watch. Like if you just if you're with a lover and you each just sensual. really like, yeah, you slowly eat a strawberry. It's like so sensual. You will turn yourself on. You will have great sex and an orgasm just by learning to mindfully eat a berry or a piece of chocolate. So okay. <laughs> Pax, we I, there, I, there's one more topic, even though I know we're we're getting to the end here, that everyone has to hear about, and, and that is, I love that you included spirit and soul strategies. In fact, you have an incredible chapter about being a unicorn. Tell us more. This is it's so important. I love this. Yeah, for sure. So, do you merit the unicorn horn? That is the quintessential question on deck. And a unicorn, as I describe it in the book, is just a female who's really checking certain boxes around taking ownership of her independence, you know, realizing that she's not going to trade her soul for souls. That's S O U L for S O L E S. Mm -hmm. You know, we all love those red bottoms. Okay. You're not a <laughs> world. If you ain't covenants, red bottoms. And the thing is, you know, that's cool. But so much of the time we give over our power as women, our soul level awareness, um, even the motivation to procure those red souls through work of our own purpose and design, you know, thinking that, and this is definitely something that I've been guilty of over the course of my life, um, was absorbing myself into relationships with high-powered men. Usually it was brown doctors. Like I was in a revolving door of the Indian doctor thing. Okay, that was a pet. Girlfriend, Jewish lawyers over here. <laughs> Jewish you know? lawyers. I gotcha. And <laughs> you, you do get stuck in those patterns. You know, I definitely had cultural stuff behind that too, around a woman not being validated in herself as a whole self until she was married. You know, and, and this is cultural mm, over mm -hmm. generations. I mean, yes. not to like drop something yes. in here that's just going to open a Pandora's box and people are going to be I want to hear more about that. Maybe we'll make it a two-parter. I think we need to get you back <laughs> one on One thing, there's, there's sure. so much, you know, there's so much embedded in all of this. But, you know, one thing that really brought that to my awareness was in going to Peru about a year ago and working with the plant medicine ayahuasca and and learning in an all-female circle with a female shaman, which sort of ramped up the power, I think, of our female energy and what we were able to tap into, I saw in no uncertain terms this generational legacy of the women in my family being these powerful spirits and consistently giving over their highest level purpose work in the world, their ability to shine the brightest light, giving that over to the men in their lives, you know, being married very young, like my grandmother was married to my grandfather on my paternal side at 14, you know, and then immediately, you know, having oh kids and, and that's it. Um, she had an eighth grade education, that's it, because then she got married and then the priority was being in the kitchen, rearing the children, being a good wife in quotes, you know, and that spilled down into my mom you know, her generation. Mm. And I saw in no uncertain terms, if you can find the strength packs to detach from this addiction, this projection onto you of what you should look mm. like as a whole being, then you will elevate yourself and, and mm. all, all of the women who've come before you and will come after you. 
And it's, it's such a strong, powerful piece of enlightenment that I received, you know, around understanding how to be a unicorn woman. That's, that's how I labeled it, you know, in the book, Mm -hmm. just this idea of prioritizing your purpose of showing up to your communications as a mindful person, as, as somebody who's doing active constructive responding, which is just basically that when somebody brings you good news, how do you respond to it? And there's an optimal way to do that, which helps solidify and, and cultivate better relationships, which is you're engaged and you're responding constructively, right? So you're there, you're listening, you're not distracted on your cell phone or Facebook or whatever, you know, you're able to receive that good news and respond in kind and help celebrate someone's good news with them. So there are several of these qualities, you know, that, that I say, you know, one should work toward and that's men included, you know, and learning how to support women in your world around, you know, developing unicornness um, and that, mm-hmm. that holy grail unicorn horn, you know, that coveted unicorn horn. It's a, a mythical, magical thing. And to the extent that, that we do that, you know, as women, that is the extent to which we will elevate our world. A freaking men, sister. Amen. (laughs) Sunday sermons. Yes. This is, this is so beautiful, right? What I call a purpose girl, being a woman who is living on purpose, whether you know your exact purpose or not, you are living deliberately. You're living for celebrating other women. You are living to be at your highest self and be of highest service to everyone's greatest good. You are making the choice about who you are. So sign me up for unicorn life <laughs> honey I i'm with you say you are killing it in that department you know i'm i'm handing you the proverbial unicorn horn because truly i mean the work that you're doing particularly for women with purpose this is the overarching thesis of my book you know mm. as you read it you will come to understand that what i'm really saying to you especially in that last section mm-hmm. around the spirit is that there is no way to hack, shortcut, bypass the purpose work to the extent that you're showing up purposefully every day, as you said, um, and using mindfulness to attune to your inner self, you know, and becoming aware of what it looks and feels like to be a unicorn, what it looks like and feels like to be purposeful. You know, that's, that's the cherry on the sundae. If you don't have that that work happening, the work that you do carrying around purpose, I truly don't feel that the cup will ever feel full. Hmm. I completely agree. It is what gives us that individuation. It is what gives us that sense of, I am my own woman. I know who I am. I know what I love and I am going for it in the world. This is just so beautiful so incredible pax i seriously could talk to you forever (laughs) and so we will definitely have you back on the purpose girl podcast before i let you go of course in a moment i'm going to ask you know you to tell us where everyone can get your book because it's great as you can tell there's so much in here first i have to ask you just a couple of purpose power play round questions shoot these all right these are just quick questions first thing that comes to your mind okay when you were a little girl what did you want to do and be? I loved to read. I was a voracious mm. reader. So reader, writer, 
expressionist. Mm, and this is what you've become, my friend. <laughs> it's incredible. Full circle. Full circle. Yes, and what a journey circle. it was to get there. So you can dig into that more in the book, but it, it didn't just come that easily. I'll say that, which I think helps people understand what a journey this purpose work can be. Yes. Wow. Wow. Okay. Second question. Other than this gorgeous book of yours, Mindfulness Matters, A Guide to Mastering Your Life, what is a book you've read recently that has been profound and life-changing for you? Oh, that's a tough one. Stealing Fire. Mm, I haven't heard that yet. Stealing Fire is, is this beautiful manifesto around the ability to access the most potent creative states and, you know, Navy SEALs are used as an example, things like that, um, around how to, to really spark the brain in new directions. Mm. Uh, and I'll just say that a lot of it does boil down to medicines like ayahuasca and I'll leave it there. Ooh, okay. <laughs> we have got to discuss that more next time you're on. And I already made a note to ask you about this retreat in Peru and to be able to go on myself. So we must discuss that because it sounds yes. amazing. So Pax, this is, you're incredible. Your book is absolutely delicious. I, I will be going back to it often. How do people find it? And you. Well, thank you so much for that. Yeah, um, you know, it's a digital world. So Amazon.com is a great option. Uh, you can also go to my website, PaxTendon.com, for a lot more on what I do and a lot more on mindfulness, my Mindfulness Matters film, you know, it, it runs the gamut. So PaxTendon.com is a great resource if you're curious to learn more and, of course, learn more about the book. But, yeah, Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble, lots of nice, juicy outlets for you to receive this. And, and I just hope that it helps you elevate you in your own journey. Mm, love, love, love it. And of course, uh, all of that information is in the show notes, so you can easily click down by going to the show notes. So thank you, thank you, thank you, Pax, for joining us. You have been an absolute delight. I have learned so much, and I cannot wait to continue learning with you. Well, thank you, my dear. I received that so humbly. It was such a beautiful, beautiful experience, mm -hmm. and I look forward to more. And thank you for shining your light in the world the way mm -hmm. you do. I received that. Thank you. And for all of you out there, thank you, thank you, thank you, as always, for listening to the Purpose Girl podcast. Because of you, we are changing the world one woman at a time. We were number two in self-help in Iceland last week. Thank you, yeah. thank you, thank you to the women of Malta. Thank you to the women all over the world. I am loving getting your emails from all over the world. I am loving hearing how this work is changing your life. So please, if you liked this episode, and we hope that you do, please download it. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please send it to all of your friends, every woman you know. Let's create a community of women that are standing in their purpose, choosing joy, and living the life that they deserve and desire. Of course, we love five-star ratings. I am so honored if you would do that. And of course, if you want to find me, go over to the Purpose Girls group in Facebook. Join us every Monday. We post a question for you to think more deeply about your life and other surprises on there where I'm creating conversation and coaching through it. Of course, you can also find me on Instagram at Karen Rockhind. You can find me on Facebook, 
Coach Karen Rockhind. And if you have not yet gotten your free Living on Purpose guide, you want to go to PurposeGirl.com. Finally, this is just like a little precursor. I have just launched, we have just launched the Women's Happy Store. And so I'm going to be talking about it in future episodes, but there's a few items out there right now for you to get your happy on. You want to go to bit.ly slash women's happy, bit.ly slash women's happy, or you can go to my website and you'll find it under shop. There are such cute t-shirts about choosing happiness, cute mug of a woman's happiness declaration, artwork for you to put up to remind yourself of all this great stuff. So this is a little precursor and more to come. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Remember, may you live purposefully. May you love yourself and may you love life. Bye for now.